And even though Hannibal and the professor pulled the mayor out of the hole almost immediately, he too leaped into the crowd yelling, it's a trap, a man-made trap, run for your lives, and the mice ran in all directions. The professor said to Willie, we'd better take you home before they start a fight. And even as they were leaving Mouseland, the mice were getting ready to raid the pantry of Willie Hop's home that very night. They were already singing their battle song. There'll be no more bread in the bread box when the mice come marching home. We're out to capture bread and cake and all the stuff that bakers bake. We'll feast until our tummies ache when the mice come marching home. There'll be no more cheese in the pantry when the mice come marching home. We're out to capture milk and cheese in spite of all the lots and keys. You'll smell them burger in the breeze when the mice come marching home. When the mice come marching home. When the professor, Hannibal, and Willie arrived at Willie's home, the professor changed Willie back into boy size again with his wonderful gadget. Behind the walls of Willie's room, they heard the mice marching to the battle. Willie decided that the only thing to do was to plug up the mouse hole. Hannibal and the professor said a tearful farewell. Hannibal said, I know that my people are mischievous and do many wrong things, but so do yours. Oh, we certainly do, said Willie. Then Hannibal said, Goodbye, Willie. We must return to Mouseland. You, our dearest human friend, must stay here. But if you'll promise to try and educate your people, we'll try and educate ours, and then... There will come a day when folks can live together Through stormy weather and strife What's the difference who or what you are? Come a day when you will reach a star. There will come a day of love and understanding. So keep demanding a much better life. Now join your fellow man and say, if we keep trying, there will come a day. The law of the jungle, which is by far the oldest law in the world, has arranged for almost every kind of accident that may befall the jungle people to allow its code is as perfect as time and custom can make it. Mowgli spent a great part of his life in the Sioni wolf pack, learning the law from Baloo, the brown bear. 
It was Balu who told him when the boy grew impatient at the constant orders that the law was like the giant creeper because it dropped across everyone's back and no one could escape. When thou hast lived as long as I have, little brother, thou wilt see how all the jungle obeys at least one law. And that will be no pleasant sight, said Balu. This talk went in at one ear and out at the other, for a boy who spends his life eating and sleeping doesn't worry about anything until it actually stares him in the face. But one year, Balu's words came true, and Mowgli saw all the jungle working under the law. It began when the winter rains failed almost entirely. Aniki the porcupine, meeting Mowgli in a bamboo thicket, told him that the wild yams were drying up. Now everybody knows that Icky is ridiculously fastidious in his choice of food and will eat nothing but the very best and ripest. So Mowgli laughed and said, what is that to me? Not much now, said Icky, rattling his quills in a stiff, uncomfortable way. But later, we shall see. Is there any more diving into the deep rock pool below the bee rocks, little brother? No, the foolish water is going all away, and I do not wish to break my head, said Mowgli, who in those days was quite sure that he knew as much as every five of the jungle people put together. <laughs> that is thy loss. A small crack might let in some wisdom. Icky ducked quickly to prevent Mowgli from pulling his nose bristles, and Mowgli told Baloo what Icky had said. Balu looked very grave and mumbled half to himself. If I were alone now, I would change my hunting grounds before the others begin to think. And yet, hunting among strangers ends in fighting them. And they might hurt the man cub. We must wait and see how the mawa blooms. That spring, the moba tree that Balu was so fond of never flowered. The greeny, creamy-colored waxy blossoms were heat-killed before they were born, and only a few bad-smelling petals came down when he stood on his hind legs and shook the tree. Then, inch by inch, the untempered heat crept into the heart of the jungle, turning it yellow, brown, and at last black. The green growths in the side of the ravines burned up to broken wires and curled films of dead stuff. The hidden pools sank down and caked over, keeping the last, least footmark on their edges as if it had been cast in iron. The juicy stemmed creepers fell away from the trees they clung to and died at their feet. The bamboos withered, clanking when the hot winds blew and the moss peeled off the rocks deep in the jungle till they were as bare and as hot as the quivering blue boulders in the bed of the stream. The birds and the monkey people went north early in the year, for they knew what was coming, and the deer and the wild pig broke far away to the perished fields of the villagers dying sometimes before the eyes of men too weak to kill them. Chill, the kite stayed and grew fat, for there was a great deal of carrion, and evening after evening he brought the news to the beasts too weak to force their way to fresh hunting grounds, that the sun was killing the jungle 
for three days' flight in every direction. Mowgli, who had never known what real hunger meant, fell back on stale honey, three years old, scraped out of deserted rock hives. Honey black as a slow and dusty with dried sugar. He hunted too for deep boring grubs under the bark of the trees and robbed the wasps of their new broods. All the game of the jungle was no more than skin and bone, and, and Bakira could kill thrice in a night and hardly get a full meal. But the want of water was the worst. For though the jungle people drink seldom, they must drink deep. And the heat went on and on and sucked up all the moisture, until at last the main channel of the Wangunga was the only stream that carried a trickle of water between its dead banks. And when Hathi, the wild elephant, who lives for a hundred years and more, saw a long, lean, blue ridge of rock show dry in the very center of the stream, he knew that he was looking at the peace rock. And then and there he lifted up his trunk and proclaimed the water truce, as his father before him had proclaimed it 50 years ago. The deer, wild pig and buffalo took up the cry hoarsely, and chill the kite flew in great circles far and wide, whistling and shrieking the warning. By the law of the jungle, it is death to kill at the drinking places when once the water truce has been declared. The reason of this is that drinking comes before eating. Everyone in the jungle can scramble along somehow when only game is scarce. But water is water. And when there is but one source of supply, all hunting stops while the jungle people go there for their needs. In good seasons, when water was plentiful, those who came down to drink at the Wyangunga, or anywhere else for that matter, did so at the whisk of their lives. And that whisk made no small part of the fascination of the night's doings. To move down so cunningly that never a leaf stirred. To wade knee-deep in the roaring shallows that drown all noise from behind. To drink looking backward over one shoulder, every muscle ready for the first desperate bound of keen terror. To roll on the sandy margin and return, wet-muscled and well-plumped out to the admiring herd, was a thing that all tall antlered young bucks took a delight in precisely because they knew that at any moment Bagheera or Shere Khan might leap upon them and bear them down. But now all that life and death fun was ended. And now the jungle people came up, starved and weary to the shrunken river. Tiger, bear, deer, buffalo and pig, all together drank the fouled waters and hung above them, too exhausted to move off. The deer and the pig had tramped all day in search of something better than dried bark and withered leaves. The buffaloes had found no wallows to be cool in and no green crops to steal. The snakes had left the jungle and come down to the river in the hope of finding a stray frog. They curled round wet stones and never offered to strike when the nose of a rooting pig dislodged them. The river turtles had long ago been killed by Bakira, cleverest of hunters, and the fish had buried themselves deep in the dry mud. Only the peace rock lay across the shallows, 
like a long snake, and the little tired ripples hissed as they dried on its hot side. It was here that Mowgli came nightly for the cool and the companionship. The most hungry of his enemies would hardly have cared for the boy then. His naked hide made him seem more lean and wretched than any of his fellows. His hair was bleached toe-colour by the sun. His ribs stood out like the ribs of a basket. And the lumps on his knees and elbows where he was used to track on all fours gave his shrunken limbs the look of knotted grass stems. But his eye, under his matted forelock, was cool and quiet. For Bakhira was his advisor in this time of trouble and told him to go quietly hunt slowly, and never on any account to lose his temper. It is an evil time, said the Black Panther one furnace hot evening, but it will go if we can live till the end. Is thy stomach full, man-cub? There is stuff in my stomach, but I get no good of it. Think you back here are the rains have forgotten us and will never come again? Not I. We shall see the moine blossom yet, and the little fawns all fat with new grass. Come down to the peace rock and hear the news on my back, little brother. Oh, this is no time to carry weight. I can still stand alone, but indeed we be no fatted bullocks, we too. Bagheera looked along his ragged, dusty flank and whispered, Last night, I killed a bullock under the yoke. So low was I brought that I think I should not have dared to spring if he had been loose. Oh, Mowgli laughed. Yes, we be great hunters now, said he. I am very bold to eat grubs. And the two came down together through the crackling undergrowth to the riverbank and the lacework of shoals that ran out from it in every direction. The water cannot live long, said Balu, joining them. Look across, yonder are trails like the roads of man. On the level plain of the farther bank, the stiff jungle grass had died standing, and dying had mummied. The beaten tracks of the deer and the pig, all heading toward the river, had striped that colorless plain with dusty gullies driven through the ten-foot grass. And early as it was, each long avenue was full of first-comers hastening to the water. You could hear the does and fawns coughing in the snuff-like dust. Upstream, at the bend of the sluggish pool round the Peace Rock and warden of the water truce, stood Hathi, the wild elephant, with his sons, gaunt and grey in the moonlight, rocking to and fro, always rocking. Below him a little were the vanguard of the deer. Below these again, the pig and the wild buffalo. And on the opposite bank, where the tall trees come down to the water's edge, was the place set apart for the eaters of flesh. The tiger, the wolves, the panther, the bear, and the others. We are under one law indeed, said Bakira, wading into the water and looking across at the lines of clicking horns and starting eyes where the deer and the pig pushed each other to and fro. Good hunting, all you of my blood, he added, lying down at full length, one flank thrust out of the shallows, and then between his teeth, 
but for that which is the law, it would be very good hunting. The quick spread ears of the deer caught the last sentence, and a frightened whisper ran along the ranks. The truce, remember the truce. Peace there, peace, gurgled hearty the wild elephant. The truce holds, Bakira. This is no time to talk of hunting. Who should know better than I, Bakira answered, rolling his yellow eyes upstream. I am an eater of turtles, a fisher of frogs. Yah! Would I could get good from chewing branches. We wish so very greatly, bleated a young fawn, who had only been born that spring and did not at all like it. Wretched as the jungle people were, even Hearty could not help chuckling, while Mowgli, lying on his elbows in the warm water, laughed aloud and beat up the scum with his feet. Well-spoken, little Badhorn, Akira purred. When the truce ends, that shall be remembered in thy favor. And he looked keenly through the darkness to make sure of recognizing the fawn again. Gradually, the talking spread up and down the drinking places. One could hear the scuffling, snorting pig asking for more room. The buffaloes grunting among themselves as they lurched out across the sandbars and the deer telling pitiful stories of their long, foot-sore wanderings in quest of food. Now and again they asked some question of the eaters of flesh across the river. But all the news was bad, and the roaring hot wind of the jungle came and went between the rocks and the rattling branches and scattered twigs and dust on the water. The men folk too, they die beside their ploughs, said a young Samba. I passed three between sunset and night. They lay still and their bullocks with them. We also shall lie still in a little. The river has fallen since last night, said Balu. Oh, Hathi, hast thou ever seen the like of this drought? It will pass, it will pass, said Hathi, squirting water along his back and sides. We have one here that cannot endure long, said Balo, and he looked towards the boy that he loved. I, said Mowgli, indignantly sitting up in the water. Ha! Huh, I have no long fur to cover my bones, but but if thy hide were taken off, Balu, Hati shook all over at the idea, and Balu said severely, Man cub, that is not seemly to tell a teacher of the law. Never have I been seen without my eyes. Nay, I meant no harm, Balu, but only that thou art, as it were, like the coconut in the husk, and I am the same coconut all naked. Now that brown husk of thine, Mowgli was sitting cross-legged and explaining things with his forefinger in his usual way when Bagheera put out a petty paw and pulled him over backward into the water. Worse and worse, said the Black Panther as the boy rose spluttering. First Balu is to be skinned, and now he is a coconut. Be careful that he does not do what the ripe coconuts do. And what is that, said Mowgli, off his guard for a minute, though this is one of the oldest catches in the jungle. Break thy head, said Bagheera quietly, pulling him under again. It is not good to make a jest of thy teacher, said the bear, when Mowgli had been ducked for the third time. Not good. What would ye have? That naked thing running to and fro makes a monkey just of those of us who have been good hunters and pulls the best of us by the whiskers for sport. There was Shere Khan, the lame tiger, limping down to the water. 
he waited a little to enjoy the sensation he made among the deer on the opposite bank. Then he dropped his square, frilled head and began to lap, growling. The jungle has become a whelping ground for naked cubs now. Look at me, man-cub. Mowgli looked, stared rather, as insolently as he knew how. And in a minute, Shere Khan turned away uneasily. Man-cub this and man-cub that, he rumbled, going on with his drink. The cub is neither man nor cub, or he would have been afraid. Next season, I shall have to beg his leave for a drink. Ah! That may come too, said Bagheera, looking him steadily between the eyes. That may come too. Fash, Khan. What new shame hast thou brought here? The lame tiger had dipped his chin and jowl in the water, and dark, oily streaks were floating from it downstream. Man, said Shere Khan coolly, I killed an hour since. And he went on purring and growling to himself. The line of beasts shook and wavered to and fro, and a whisper went up that grew to a cry. Man, man, he has killed man. And all looked towards Hathi, the wild elephant. But he seemed not to hear. Hathi never does anything till the time comes, and that is one of the reasons why he lives so long. At such a season as this to kill man, was no other game afoot, said Bagheera scornfully, drawing himself out of the tainted water and shaking each paw cat fashion as he did so. I kill for choice, not for food. The horrified whisper began again, and Hathi's watchful little white eye cocked itself in Shere Khan's direction. For choice, Shere Khan drawled. Now come I to drink and make me clean again. Is there any to forbid? Bakira's back began to curve like a bamboo in a high wind, but Hathi lifted up his trunk and spoke quietly. Thy kill was from choice, he asked. And when Hathi asks a question, it is best to answer. Even so, it was my right and my night. Thou knowest, O Hathi, Shere Khan spoke almost courteously. Yes, I know, Hathi answered. And after a little silence, hast thou drunk thy fill? For tonight, yes. Go then. The river is to drink and not to defile. None but the lame tiger would so have boasted of his right at this season when, when we all suffer together, man and jungle people alike. Clean or unclean, get to thy lair, Shere Khan. The last words rolled out like silver trumpets, and Hati's three sons rolled forward half a pace, though there was no need. Shere Khan slunk away, not daring to growl, for he knew what everyone else knows, that when the last comes to the last, Hati is the master of the jungle.
What is this white Shere Khan speaks of, Mowgli whispered in Bakira's ear? To kill man is always shameful. The law says so. And yet Hati says, Ask him, I do not know, little brother. Right or wrong, if Hati had not spoken, I would have taught that lame butcher his lesson. Mowgli waited for a minute to pick up his courage, for no one cared to address Hathi directly, and then he cried, What is Shere Khan's right, O Hathi? Both banks echoed his words, for all the people of the jungle are intensely curious. It is an old tale, said Hathi, a tale older than the jungle. Keep silence along the banks, and I will tell that tale. There was a minute or two of pushing and shouldering among the pigs and the buffalo, and then the leaders of the herds grunted one after another, we wait. And Hati strode forward until he was nearly knee-deep in the pool by the peace rock. Lean and wrinkled and yellow-tusked though he was, he looked what the jungle knew him to be, their master. Ye know, children, he began, that of all things ye most fear man. And there was a mutter of agreement. And ye do not know why ye fear man, Hearty went on. This is the reason. In the beginning of the jungle, and none know when that was, we of the jungle walked together, having no fear of one another. In those days there was no drought, and leaves and flowers and fruit grew on the same tree, and we ate nothing at all except leaves and flowers and grass and fruit and bark. And the lord of the jungle was Tha, the first of the elephants. He drew the jungle out of deep waters with his trunk, and where he made furrows in the ground with his tusks, there the rivers ran. And where he struck with his foot, there rose ponds of good water, and when he blew through his trunk thus, the trees fell. That was the manner in which the jungle was made by far, and so the tale was told to me. In those days there was no corn or melons or pepper or sugar cane, nor were there any little huts such as he have all seen. And the jungle people knew nothing of man, but lived in the jungle together, making one people. But presently they began to dispute over their food, though there was grazing enough for all. They were lazy. Each wished to eat where he lay, as sometimes we can do now when the spring rains are good. Tha, the first of the elephants, was busy making new jungles and leading the rivers in their beds. He could not walk in all places, therefore he made the first of the tigers the master and the judge of the jungle, to whom the jungle people should bring their disputes. In those days the first of the tigers ate fruit and grass with the others. He was as large as I am and he was very beautiful, in colour all over like the blossom of the yellow creeper. There was never stripe nor bar upon his hide in those good days, when this the jungle was new. All the jungle people came before him without fear, and his word was the law of all the jungle. We were then, remember ye, one people. Yet, upon a night, there was a dispute between two bucks, a grazing quarrel such as he now settled with the horns and forefeet. 
And it is said that as the two spoke together before the first of the tigers lying among the flowers, a buck pushed him with his horns. And the first of the tigers forgot that he was the master and judge of the jungle, and leaping upon that buck, broke his neck. Till that night, never one of us had died. And the first of the tigers, seeing what he had done and being made foolish by the scent of blood, ran away into the marshes of the north, and we of the jungle, left without a judge, felt a fighting among ourselves. And Tha heard the noise of it and came back. Then some of us said this, and some of us said that. But he saw the dead buck among the flowers and asked who had killed. And we of the jungle would not tell because the smell of the blood made us foolish. We ran to and fro in circles, capering and crying out and shaking our heads. Then Tha gave an order to the trees that hang low and to the trailing creepers of the jungle that they should mark the killer of the buck so that he should know him again. And he said... This is WCBN-FM Ann Arbor. We're airing selected hours from our extensive broadcast archive during the university shutdown. We'll return to live programming as conditions permit. Clams with Marin, and I'm out of here. Have a good time. Yeah.